You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Talking Chop Podcast. This is episode three, and I am here with Brad Roland, as always. How you doing, Brad? I'm good, man. Uh, we're you know two full episodes deep, and it's time for number three, and I'm fired up and ready to correct all the mistakes that everyone told us that we've made so far. Yeah, we, we have a few things to work on for sure, but we definitely appreciate the feedback you guys have been providing us. I'll try to not say like at all throughout the whole thing. Uh, but I'm more excited about our guest this week. Today we have Eric Cole, our own prospect guru on the show. Welcome aboard, Eric. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. I'm really excited to uh, get into, into some prospect talk later in the podcast. But first, um, pitchers and catchers have officially reported for the Atlanta Braves and I'd imagine every other team, hopefully. Um but it's exciting to, to kind of see some of the pictures and videos and hear about the guys that are in camp this week for the Braves. And we've had a couple of tidbits come out from guys like Mark Bowman and Kevin McAlpin and our own Grant McCauley. Uh, and I'm excited to see how spring training develops. Um, we saw that uh, things are looking good for Mike Fultonevich, or as good as we can really hope for at this point. He threw a 15-pitch bullpen this morning, Sunday morning. And the Braves are being cautious with him, but it seems like they're pretty optimistic for how he's doing in his recovery. Hector Oliveira was a name that was thrown around uh, as he's been in camp for almost a week as of Sunday, where pitcher or position players, excuse me, don't have to report until Wednesday. So the Braves are excited about his worth ethic with that. And the last big note, really, that I've had at this point is just uh, Manny Benuelos. Benuelos, don't want to butcher his name. Uh, he threw on Friday as well, and the, and the Braves, and particularly Freddie Gonzalez, are encouraged with what they saw out of him. So we've got some a little little bit of tidbits here and there to look at, but until we really get into spring training and games, we kind of are just playing the waiting game at this point. Uh, Brad, do you have anything in particular that you're looking forward to seeing with the pitchers already in camp and the position players coming in this Wednesday? Yeah, I think I think the faulty stuff is encouraging. You know, a lot of a lot of uncertainty about when he'd actually be available. And that's a guy with obviously a ton of talent that the Braves, you know, paid a pretty good price for um, in trade to acquire him. And he was sort of underwhelming uh, in his first season um, with the organization. So it's good to see him sort of getting back into the swing of things off of the injury. Um, and that's a guy with you know, obviously a huge upside because of the fastball that can you know touch high nineties. And that's a guy that. Um, you know, there's been mixed reaction about what he's going to be able to be long term, whether he's a reliever or whether he can possibly be a starter. Um, but until he gets on the mound and actually, you know, does something, um, it's tough to make um, huge critiques on him. So it's good to see him on the mound and the Oliveira stuff as well. I mean, it's, it's all kind of smoke and mirrors at this point with everybody. Uh, it's it's the uh, the hope springs eternal thing 
in uh, February. Um, but you know, everybody, you you want you want to be positive about Hector Oliveira, and, and that that's a guy that um, can really help the lineup if his talents um, are as considerable as some think they are. So, mm-hmm. him getting there early is encouraging. As the old as the oldest rookie imaginable, um, <laughs> you want him you want him uh, cracking from the opening uh, from opening day on. So, getting him in early is probably a pretty good thing too. Definitely. And Eric, kind of a two-part question for you here. Um, sure. What have you seen from Fulte, uh maybe throughout the minors? If you if you got a chance to look at what he's done, what do you what do you think he can be if he's able to come back and be healthy? Do you think he's a starting pitcher or do you think he's going to wind up in the bullpen? And also, how much should we be looking into what we see out of him during spring training? Uh, I know we hear a lot of uh, writers and just people within the game telling you to temper your expectations just based on your spring training numbers, don't look into those too much. But what are your thoughts on faulty and just spring training in general? Okay, um, I'll answer the second one first. I don't think it's going to be fair for a while to draw any conclusions about what faulty does for at least a month and a half. I mean, it, it's not just like he like came off like a sprained ankle or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, he basically had a rib removed. And it's a really weird injury, and you don't really know how a guy's delivery is going to be affected, uh, or even just like things like you know his breathing patterns, his fitness, things like that. So, in terms of like drawing conclusions as to what he'll be from even the early spring training work, I would be very skeptical about. That being said, um, I'm in the camp that I don't think Fulty is going to be a starter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think his secondary stuff is is good enough to justify being a starter. I think he could throw the innings. I just don't think that. Other than his, I mean, he has a very live fastball, and when it's on, it's borderline unhittable. Mm-hmm. But when he tries to throw a changeup or when he tries to throw a curveball, I'm just like, it's almost like a watching like a Williams Perez thing. Like, oh, please, just just <laughs> pop it up, just pop it up, just don't because it just it doesn't look like the pitches do much, uh, and I don't think he's very deceptive when he's throwing those pitches. So I'm kind of in the camp that I think he's going to end up in the bullpen, and he's just going to have hopefully he can maybe develop a second pitch that is good enough. Um, I know that they've tried different things with like a slider and things like that with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that's no, no. Go ahead. Well, and so yeah, all I'm, and with the fastball, I think he could be a great like a great you know eighth or ninth inning option down the line. I just don't see him as a starter going forward. But I'm I'm all for them trying. I could end up being wrong, but and they're certainly going to try. Mm-hmm. Um, but as of right now, I just don't see it. Yeah, Fulty is an interesting one for me because last summer when I started with my internship at Turner Field, I got to see a couple of his better starts really throughout the entire year in late May. I think he had three, might've even been four. No, he had a good stretch where he had at least seven strikeouts and then he had three starts where he went five innings, seven and two thirds, and then six and two thirds where he went seven strikeouts and one walk. And the last one, he actually had eight strikeouts and he re- he looked awesome at that point. Um, but yeah, I'm not convinced at all at this point in his, his off speed stuff, his breaking ball, really there's, no telling where that pitch is going to end up once it comes out of his hand half the time. Um, but he's got that lively fastball, and you like to hope that maybe he can figure out the off-speed stuff or a secondary pitch that he can rely on to keep him in the rotation because he's he's shown at times it's not consistent, but he's shown that he can hang around as a starter. Brad, do you have any thoughts on what you think he's going to wind up as? You know, with a gun to my head, I would probably say you know high leverage reliever. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I agree with Eric's point on the secondary stuff. It's kind of tough to see that sticking. But with a guy as young as he is, there is there is some room for growth. And I agree that the Hawks, I mean the Hawks, the Braves have to give him a chance to uh, at least prove that he can't do it. 
uh, that's kind of sure. where I am on mo- on most pitchers um, with that kind of upside is give him a chance to start until he proves that he can't do it. Um, but I would, you know, personally think that he probably won't stick as a starter. Ends up, look, he might be an awesome reliever. Just the fastball alone um, could almost make you a very good reliever. And with his pedigree, it would not be a stretch to see him as like an eighth, ninth inning guy down the line. But um, you know, there's certainly something to be chance. said about there's something to be said about like a maturity of his approach. Uh, the thing about him in the minors, it'd be funny. He would like go four innings, and you know he'd like have seven strikeouts, and he'd be that guy you want him to be. Mm-hmm. And then he'd have one inning where he walks three guys and gives up a grand slam, and that's not hyperbole. This actually happened. So you wonder if he's just maybe not approaching the game the right way, or at least wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know could come with age. You know he could end up being that guy. Uh, but right now, I just I'm skeptical. Yeah, I think. His fastball also got beat up a lot, despite the velocity that we saw out of it. I feel like I, I saw him get peppered around, and I think the, uh, the exit velocity against Fulte was one of the highest of any of the pitchers on the team last season, if I'm not mistaken. You. So. It should be noted, too, just real quick, that he is already 24. So, I mean, that's that's still young, but it's not like you're looking at a 20-year-old kid here. Um, sure. There's, I mean, 24 is still young, but it's not as if... He's super early in the process too, so some of that development could you you would have liked to have already seen it, which is kind of an, another reason why I think he might end up in the bullpen. But that's something to note because he'll be, you know, if the Braves by the end of the season he'll be turning twenty five in October, so he's a little bit further down the line than most people probably think he is. For sure, true. All right, and then looking ahead to spring training, Brad, who is who are a few of the guys that you're really looking forward to seeing? Um, just kind of in the games that we have in spring training, maybe not for impact on this season, but we've got a bunch of young guys who are presumably going to be in uh, the Braves' plans moving forward. Are there any guys that stick out to you that you're excited to see in some of these spring training games? Yeah, I mean, the obvious names. Everybody wants to see Dansby Swanson. Everybody's excited about that. Um, and he would obviously be on my list. Um, for me, I usually like to look at pitchers a little bit more in spring. I don't know what that is about me or what it says about me, but I'm excited to see you know some of the younger pitchers, some of the very young guys that I haven't seen really any of, or at least very small samples of. Um, but even even a guy like Matt Whistler, like I want to see what he looks like after you know 19 starts in the big leagues last year. But that's a guy with a huge pedigree that we think is going to be pretty good. But you know, it's kind of you assume growth, but you don't want to assume anything with with a prospect, mm-hmm. um, and uh, the last guy for me. I mean, I could I can go on all day, but Braxton Davidson too. Yeah, I think it's yep. a guy that I want, I'm I'm interested to see what he looks like in spring, and sort of a guy that a lot of Braves fans almost forget about um, with all the new prospects that have come in in the last you know 18 months or so. He was a guy the Braves drafted. Um, has been in the system for a little bit, um, and he's kind of fallen uh, behind in terms of consciousness. But that's a guy with a lot of a lot of talent that I, I know the Braves are pretty excited about. So, want to see a little bit of him uh, and see how ready he is to start moving up the ladder uh, in his own right. Yep. And Eric, same question to you: Who's someone that maybe sticks out to you, or a couple of guys that you're excited to see? Well, I mean, I think we'd be silly to not mention, you know, what Oliveira is or isn't going to be. I mean, that was that the trade deadline. That was the biggest deal probably of the deadline season. And you want to see if this transition to left field and whether or not he's actually going to be a better hitter than that, you know, barely over 700 OPS batter, you know, hitter he was for in limited action last year. Uh, you know, all accounts is he's working really hard. And, you know, the little video that came out yesterday, I mean, came out today. It looks like his swing's a lot cleaner. Like it looks like he's not, you know, trying to do too much when he's swinging. 
Uh, it looks like he's trying to drive the ball, but at the same time, until you guy you see a guy face live pitching, you don't know if that's going to translate into success. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not super excited about seeing all these, you know, these, you know, veteran, you know, castoffs that the Braves have <laughs> signed, in the hopes that one of them will possibly be able to fill the fifth rotation spot. But uh, at the same time, you kind of want to see if either one of those guys, whether that's you know, God forbid, Kyle Kendrick, or you know, Yolis, or uh, even a guy like Ryan Weber, who was actually pretty good in limited action last year. Number one prospect, Ryan Weber. Uh, don't start with me. Elite, elite prospect. <laughs> All right, we're we're never going to be able to mention Ryan Weber, Weber, however you pronounce his name, without uh, saying number one prospect. Just going forward, if his name comes up, I will be screaming number one prospect, Ryan Weber. Uh, <laughs> My my feelings on this are well documented on various forms of social media, so I'm not going to get into all that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see kind of what happens with the rotation because I honestly don't think that the lineup's going to be that bad, and I'm probably more optimistic about the team in general. But that said, if it ends up being a rotation where it's you know Bud Norris plus two veterans that were of Freddie Gonzalez's choosing, this season could get very ugly very quickly. Uh, whereas I do see some of these guys like a you know some of these younger guys who would have a better chance to actually be at least decent players. Uh, and the season could end up being much different as a result. Um, I would prefer those guys to get the chance to at least try as opposed to just finding out that Kyle Kendrick is exactly who we thought Kyle Kendrick was. <laughs> yeah, and real quick before we move on, I'm just excited to see Aaron Blair and Tyrell Jenkins. I think those two guys, while maybe oh, sure. they don't have the the stuff that some of the other pitching prospects have in the system, I think – those are two guys who can come up and make an impact in the starting rotation very early on. Um, and I would like to see them thrown into it earlier than, or sooner rather than later, as I'm sure you two would as well. Absolutely. Um, but I think we can move into a new segment today, which I'm really excited to, uh, to bring into the fold. We've been talking about it for a while. And obviously you guys saw our Talking Chop mailbag post Friday afternoon. But uh, we've got a few questions from the Talking Chop community that we're going to throw out to to Brad and Eric and I suppose myself in this podcast. And we're going to try to do this every podcast, honestly. You guys provided some great feedback, some great talking points, and some interesting questions that I'm excited to dive into. But first, um, since we just finished talking about him, um, I guess, Brad, you can answer this one first. But this is from Nowhere IL. Uh, Question for whoever. Why, if the Braves' management want Hector Oliveira to focus on fixing his bat, are they putting him in yet another position he is unfamiliar with, left field, when he could just as easily platoon, I haven't checked the splits, with Jace Peterson at the position he's played most? Got an answer for him, Brad? Yeah. I, on the one hand, on the one hand, uh, I think the uh, him playing in a, a position he's unfamiliar with is probably a bit overrated in terms of what it will do to his bat. Um, that, that's sort of an over. Uh, that's sort of something that people will throw around occasionally when a guy is struggling at the plate, as if uh, they'll you know that he might be worried about his defense. I guess there could be some merit to that, um, but I think of them as pretty separate things. Um, on a broader scale, I, I'm really I remain confused as to why the Braves won't at least try Oliver at third base. Um, I have some real fear as to just how bad he possibly could have been. Where the Braves saw him and and, re- and immediately thought, "Wow, we can't play him at third," mm-hmm. um, because obviously his value would be significantly higher if he could stick at third base. And this is an organization that hasn't had a third baseman to build around since Chipper. I mean. 
in terms of a long-term guy. There's mm-hmm. been some veterans that have performed well there, but yeah, uh, I would like to. I would like to have seen him play some third base or at least try it. Um, but the Braves, you know, seem content to play him in left field. And as long as he hits, if he hits at the level that some think he can, as you know, a twenty twenty-five home run guy, then him playing left field won't be bad. I mean, he might be he might be an atrocity out there defensively. That's in play um, a la Evan Gaddis. Um, we've kind of seen that guy recently uh, who you know shouldn't have been playing the outfield but couldn't play anywhere else. Um, and Gaddis hit enough where it wasn't a disaster. That might happen with Oliveira, and he might be, you know, he might be better than we think he'll be in left field. Left field is the place where guys get stuck um, if they can't play anywhere else, essentially in the National League. Um, so maybe he'll be okay and be passable there. But you know, to answer the question, I would, I would have liked to see him play third base, at least try it and see just how miserably he fails before having to move him off. Yeah, I feel like I'm kind of right there with you, so I won't add too much. But I think the Braves are just convinced that he wasn't going to be a third baseman. Or else, like you said, I don't know why you don't try him there, as his value obviously could be higher as a third baseman with the bat that they're hoping he has. Eric, do you have any differing opinions on that one? Uh, yeah, I don't think I saw anything in Oliveira's splits that makes me think that you know Jace Peterson and Oliveira as a platoon at second base is going to be something that's necessarily desirable. Um, I think his value would definitely be higher at third base, but... If you, the problem fundamentally is that I don't know if you were aware of left field last year, but left field was abysmal on it on every metric, offensively and defensively last year. And I just I wonder, partly if they just don't think he can play third, but also that they just don't see anyone else that potentially has the bat that could even possibly play in left field, because right now your options are like Nick Swisher, Michael Bourne. Um, I mean, it's pretty grim for the outfield in terms of you know who can play that position. And play it well. Who could possibly hit? So yeah, I just, we, we at least know that Hector Oliveira can run around in left field as opposed to Nick Swisher. Yeah, and maybe and maybe the Braves believe in Adonis Garcia. I mean, I'm you know he he's been great in winter league, but at the same time, you know, hinging your hopes on you know another thirty plus year old Cuban is you know problematic at times <laughs> because he hasn't been playing a whole lot. I do like that point. Just real quick about Oliveira playing left field, um, given his age. There is an argument to be made that you know sticking him at third base as the future third baseman is kind of misguided because his future probably won't be very long. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. So if if you think he'll be better right away in left field, in, and you can get the most value out of him, you know, in in two or three years in that position, you don't know how long he's going to be good if he's ever good. Just based on based on his age, I think a lot of people, including myself at times, kind of forget that and kind of treat him as a prospect, whereas he's really he's really not in any way except for his no. major league service. The age the age swings a lot of things, and that could be one of them. Where the Braves might just be trying to maximize his value with his bat. Yeah, I think that's a good by point. taking some pressure off the field. And if you do think that Hector Oliveira is going to stick around for a few years, then you at least have a guy like Rio Ruiz who might be ready to take over at third at that point, depending on his development. Whereas in left field, I don't really see a guy in the system at this point who who might be able to come up and take that position away from him if they're looking long-term and they're convinced that uh, Oliveira will succeed in that position. Uh, But moving on to our next question from Ray Pugh. Uh, Eric, you can take this one first. He says, or he asks, Copy's remarks about the rebuild, the rebuild being accelerated got me thinking. Do you think we could see some earlier-than-expected moves to improve the at-present or the immediate future? For example, I could possibly see a deadline deal to improve the opening day 2017 roster if the opportunity arose. Uh, what do you think about the rebuild being accelerated, Eric? 
Well, I think there's a couple things there. One, I think that if Copy's phone rings and there's a trade offer on the other end of the line, Copy is at least going to listen. That being said, uh, in terms of like a trade deadline deal, I don't see any situation at all, uh, unless for some reason this team has a hundred game, hundred wins at the trade deadline, which is never going to happen. <laughs> um, there's never, there's not going to be a rental type deal. You know, they're not going to be going after a guy to just try to make a run this year, uh, even if they're in the running for the playoffs. It's very clear that if they're going to deal for a player at all. Uh, or if they're going to sign a guy at all, it's going to be someone who's controllable, uh, young, um, and cheap. So that being said, uh, I don't think it's that outside the realm of possibility that even before the All-Star break or even going into the spring, that if the Braves see a deal for a guy they like um, that, that is controllable, uh, who you know kind of fits into the general mold of guys they've been targeting, then they would probably make the deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple caveats there. One is that I think that the Braves want to see exactly what they have with a lot of these young guys, and a lot of their best prospects are like really just just recently finished rookie ball or uh, in terms of the June draft. They're going to be picking number three overall. They'll, they'll want to know what these guys are. They want to make sure that they're giving away the value that they're expecting to as opposed to getting it back. Um, but that being said, I think that they would make a deal, uh, but again – only because the next free agent market is miserable, mm-hmm. uh, they would probably won't be willing to accelerate it. But I don't think it'd be anything more than just kind of doing something that some of the same things they've been doing, uh, just a little bit earlier than we thought they were. All right, cool. Uh, our next question comes from Matt in Charlotte. Uh, shout out North Carolina. That's where I'm at right now. Uh, he asks, "How concerned should we be about Inciarte's struggles against lefties and his numbers away from Chase Field?" Amid the excitement about the trade with the Diamondbacks, I haven't seen much discussion of these items. Well, Matt, uh, I wrote about this January 5th on the site, and I can, uh, you can, I'll link the, the uh, article that I wrote about his splits, actually. I addressed that specific question. But, Brad, do you have any initial impressions on this question? Should we be really worried about NCRTA splits? I mean, worried a little bit, I think, is reasonable. Um I think it's also reasonable to to look at his profile on the whole and realize that you know you probably didn't trade for him for his for his prolific bat. Yeah, uh, he had a ni- he had a nice year last year hitting three hundred three, but even with that, it came with a you know with a, only a three thirty eight on base percentage mm-hmm. and not a lot of power at all. So Enciarte is almost the uh, the new Anderson Simmons. Yeah, and uh, before we not- go on, can I interrupt you real quick? His uh, go ahead. Yeah, just to throw out his splits for those of you who aren't aware. Um, against lefties, he's hit 250, 289, 299, good for a 588 OPS. Uh, versus against righties, he's a 309, 345, 421 hitter with a 767 OPS. So it's a pretty significant difference over the uh, span of his first two years in the game, which is uh, how many games is this? Either way, it's two two seasons. So go, go ahead, Brad. Keep going. Sorry to, yeah. sorry to interrupt. No, you're good. I mean, obviously, I, I made the Simmons comp. That's it's a very lazy one, but it works for Braves fans in that. Um, <laughs> Enciarte is a defense first player, and he's always going to be that. I would be shocked if he became suddenly an, a strongly above average offensive player. But when you're playing a premium position of, cent- uh, of playing center field and playing it well, um, that helps your value. And he's going to play every day because of the defense, and so that's. It can be a worry in that he's still going to start against left-handers, at least at president. I mean, you're not going to go in and platoon him. 
So him having to face lefties whenever, whenever they, whenever that happens, could be problematic when you look at his when you look at his splits. But even then, it's less than 300 at bats against lefties in his career. Hmm. Um, so you're still looking at a relatively small sample, um, and that's I guess is the best way of uh, throwing a caveat on there, and that at least he might be better than what he's shown thus far, and he's still pretty young at 25, so there might be some development there. But the short answer is he might be bad against lefties, and we'll kind of have to live with it based on his defense in center field. Yeah, uh, for me, the big thing with Ender is looking at his approach when he's facing a righty versus a lefty. Uh, I talk about this in the article that I wrote, but Eno Saris published a Fangraphs article that really went into how Enciarte purposefully adjusts his approach at the plate depending on who's pitching towards him. Um, and it doesn't seem to have worked out, uh, depending on when he started doing this. So I'd like to see maybe him just take the same approach regardless and try to drive the ball rather than maybe uh, waiting a little bit longer when a lefty's up at the up at the mound and uh, trying to drive the ball the other way. Um, again, with like you said, Brad, I don't really think that it's going to hurt a, hurt the team too bad if he continues to be poor against lefties because he does bring uh, that advanced glove in the outfield and he's a really good base runner as well so that's where you're going to be getting most of his value i think there is a chance that he could improve those splits but i do think those splits are real i think they're significant enough within um i just had the at bat numbers it's 400 447 his first season and 561 plate appearances in 2015 i think those are real splits so i'm not too optimistic that he's going to ever hit lefties very well at all, but if we can get some improvement, I think that that's not out of the realm of possibility. I'll say this just real quick. Um, Freddie, Freddie's lineup construction might be a concern here. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. If you if you believe, <laughs> yeah, we all know that. But if, if you believe the splits are real, which Carlos does, and he studied it closer than I am, uh, I don't trust Freddie to not hit him lead off against a lefty, uh, or hit him second, or do something <laughs> just incredibly, you know, nonsensical. Well, there's, um, it's a little problematic with the lineup against lefties, right? Because, I mean, one of your other options for leadoff is Jace Peterson, and he didn't exactly endure right, anyone. Thing. You know, yeah, he, he right. can't exactly hit lefty <laughs> hitters. So, I mean, lefties just might be in general tough. Because, uh, I mean, when your best hitter is also Freddie Freeman, who's a lefty, and he's, you know, he can definitely hit lefties better than either of those Nick, two guys. Nick Markakis. Oh, wait, he's left-handed too, isn't he? Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, lefties, <laughs> lefties are going to be rough. Yeah, this is um, definitely a left, lefty-heavy lineup, so... I agree with you guys there. Uh, no, go ahead. If you have anything to say, Eric. Uh, no, it's just that, I mean, again, it's you're getting your value from Enciarte with his defense and his base running, which is something that Andrelton didn't have. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrelton wasn't exactly known for stealing bases very often. Um, and I actually think it's possible that Enciarte might actually walk more than Andrelton, which is a little shocking. <laughs> um, but So it's a little bit of a different situation than Andrelton. But at the same time, you know, it's not like you're facing a ton of lefties. I mean, some teams are a little more loaded lefties in their rotation than others. Um, but at the same time, you're getting your value in other ways, and I just don't think it's going to affect his value a whole lot, uh, especially since he, I mean, he couldn't hit lefties last year for Arizona, and you know, he was still probably one of the, you know, in terms of war anyway, one of the top players in the league. Yeah, I just had a flashback to Anderson Simmons trying to run the bases. Yeah, and that, was, that was not a fun thing. Yeah, he his low oh. key, absolutely terrible base runner. I love <laughs> I love you, Andrelton, but brutal to watch on the base. <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's funny to see his his quickness and his agility with a glove in his hand, but when he has when he's on the base paths, that seems to just disappear. Well, that, was, 
Well, a lot of that was instincts, right? Yeah. Now, when he's on the base pads, you know, the late slides were, um, I was just waiting for something awful to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. That'll, that'll be interesting. I'm still going to watch Angleton, obviously. So it'll, it'll be interesting oh, to see if that can improve. Love you. Love you, Angleton. <laughs> we miss you. <laughs> All right. But getting back onto the questions, uh, Seth Sosby3 says, okay, of course the new stadium looks awesome, but honest answer, do you guys think it looks a little bit lame? Like if Panera Bread built a baseball stadium. Brad, any takes? Yeah, I could see where you'd say this. It is <laughs> it is pretty vanilla um, in the same way Turner Field has always been very vanilla. Um, I'm a fan of Turner Field. I always enjoyed it uh, and enjoy it, I guess, since it still exists at this moment. But there was nothing terribly distinctive about Turner Field. And that's kind of my fear um, with the new park is that it's going to be cool and nice, um, but I don't, I don't love that there's not like that distinctive feature that you can kind of hang your hat on. It's almost in the, in the cookie cutter variety, um, so that's less than exciting. But I think it'll be nice enough, at least in the early going, to sort of uh, overcome that, um, that negative point, if you think it's a negative point. But this, this, this argument definitely exists that it's not a terribly exciting building on its surface. Yeah, I think uh, people complaining about it at this point. If you're if you're overly worked up about it, I think you should maybe calm down a little bit because we obviously haven't <laughs> seen what the stadium really looks like. Renderings are one thing. I'm still gonna hold off and see what it actually looks like when it's finished. But there is nothing distinctive, like you said, in the plans. Um, but I think that's a trend in general for baseball, and I would imagine other stadiums and other sports as well. It seems like we're moving away from. The, the uniqueness that you get from fields like Wrigley and Fenway of, of the olden days to um, just practicality and trying to get fans as close to the game and, and provide as many amenities as they can to make the experience better for watching the game. Um, but you don't have a cool uh, sight line like you do at PNC Park with the river and the, and the bridge behind you, so obviously you can't build that around anything. Uh, but I'm going to hold off before I get too crazy, but I agree. There's nothing crazy that's getting me excited about the stadium, I'd say, Eric. Uh, I mean, I'm definitely excited about actually having things to do before the game starts or that I would be let into the stadium because, <laughs> I mean, once you park at Turner Field, I mean, if you're there before the gates open, then you're not going to eat or you're not going to really do much else other than sit outside those gates and talk to people because there's nothing else to do down there. And uh, so I'm definitely looking forward to the amenities. Um, in terms of like characteristics, I mean, that, there's, that goes both ways. I mean, that sculpture in the Miami's in Miami's park is uh, you know horrifying, to, you know the dolphins or whatever it is. And you know, it's to having something that's distinctive doesn't necessarily mean that it's good. Yeah. Uh, and I would rather them, you know, build a stadium that I can go to and not like have some eyesore. I'll be like, you know, or like, why, why is there a three foot wall there? Or, you know, why is there a mountain in the middle of center field? Like the, you know, the Astros park and, you know, it's, I'm I'm fine with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm fine. All right. Moving back into baseball, uh, some more baseball, I guess a stadium for your baseball team is a baseball topic, but more, more on the field stuff. Handsome Jacob has two questions for prospects that obviously we're going to point to Eric for considering his, his talents. The first one is Eric loved the top 25 list. Great work. What guy not named in the top 25 has the highest ceiling? Also, if the Braves signed Kevin Maiton in July, where would you predict he would land in the mid season rankings? Thanks for all the hard work. Um, 
first, thank you. We appreciate the the thanks and the the compliments. Um, in terms of guys who are not in the top twenty five right now, uh, there's a lot of guys with a lot of high with a high ceiling. Uh, a couple names: Israel Nell Wilson uh, has a big power and has a lot of tools, but he also struck out a lot in rookie ball. Uh, but if he can fix that problem, uh, he could actually jump up the list in a hurry. Uh, pitching wise, uh, Max Povzi, uh, who has a really big frame, uh, he's just been dinged up a lot. And he could end up being really, really good. Uh, also, Jonathan Morales, a catcher that the Braves drafted last year, uh, relatively late, uh, is, is actually a really gifted in terms of pop-up times and defensively, and uh, support, you know, showed a good bit of power as well. He could end up, I don't think it's likely, but I think he could end up being actually the best catcher in the Braves system. Interesting. All right, and then uh, my time. Uh, yeah. uh, he, wouldn't, he will not be ranked in the midseason rankings uh, at all, uh, just because we want to have uh, more scouting on him going in. Uh, that being said, Garrett and I both love him. Uh, we just want more information before we would rank him. So he would not. He will not be on the mid midseason rankings. Uh, he will, you know, depending on what happens, uh, he could definitely be on next year's preseason rankings, though. Okay. All right. And then his second question, I guess third if you count it, the first as a two-parter, is uh, hypothetically, if Matt Whistler and Mike Fultonevich were still considered prospects, where would they each rank in the top twenty-five? Uh, Whistler would probably be five or six. Uh, somewhere in there, and Fulty. I mean, if I'm going on the information I have now, and my feeling is that he's going to be a bullpen guy, he'll be in the teens somewhere. Uh, I don't think that'd be a very popular ranking. Uh, I would imagine he'd probably be somewhere around 12 or 13 after, you know, Garrett probably beat me up on it. <laughs> so he's higher on Fulty than you. Uh, I would think so right now. Or at least he's more optimistic that he could possibly become a starter. Mm-hmm. I would think so. All right, cool. I think this is a good segue into our next conversation, which is just prospects in general. And uh, how did you specifically get into prospects, scouting, and then writing about this stuff? Um, in terms of getting into the minor league stuff, uh, right around when the baby Braves were a big thing, uh, you know, the, the minor leagues were kind of at the forefront at that particular point in time because everyone was like, these, this young crop of Braves pitchers and these young guys are going to you know, really lead the charge into you know, winning more division titles and stuff. Obviously, that didn't happen. Which, uh, which period are you specifically talking about? Uh, like the Kyle Davies uh, era where all the baby Braves were coming up. The JoJo uh, Reyes? Is this yes. Thing of? All right. Yes, yeah. Um, and uh, obviously, that, a lot of those guys didn't work out. Which, But at this time, it was exciting to see all these young guys coming up, and they were supposed to be really good. Um, I started following and maybe scouting more. Uh, right around, Oddly enough, right around the time, when towards the end of uh, the Frank Wren era, I was oddly... Uh, fascinated with Tommy Lastella, uh, and it's you know it's not you know it's not my finest time in life, but at the same time it was interesting to see kind of who their Blazers were going to replace Dan Ugla with, and if he was going to be you know a viable alternative. So I started kind of really getting into more of the nitty gritty of kind of who he was as a player, which kind of led me down the rabbit hole of you know what about the other players in the system, uh, and it became increasingly grim as I did that. Um, <laughs> Uh, in terms of writing, I only wrote sparingly for uh, when I was in college, just a couple columns, just on you know as when I had time uh, for that the school paper. But I didn't do it very often. I, I mean, I think I maybe wrote three articles the whole time I was there. Yeah. And um, just just this past year, uh, I kind of got the itch to write and just to kind of be into baseball. And I've been a lurker for at Talking Chop for as long as I can remember. And so I just wrote a fan post, and it was on the Hayward trade. And I kind of, you know, poked Brad and uh, Chris to, you know, hey, what do you think of this? And then Chris was like, hey, this is really good. You know, write another one, and we'll, you know, 
maybe we can you know talk about something in the future. Mm-hmm. And that's really all I thought about it was this maybe this maybe something down the line we could, I, I, could, I was gonna have to write you know tons of fan posts to be you know to even be noticed. And I wrote one more, and then he's like, "Let me have your email address." <laughs> that's, that, and that's where it started. And two nice. weeks later, two weeks later, it was Chris, Brad, myself, and uh, Ivan who were in the in our chat uh, when talking about the draft. That's terrific. Um, so how did you learn about scouting, like the nitty-gritties of actually getting out there and, and breaking down players' mechanics, whether that's hitters or pitchers? How did you how did you learn about that? Do you have any baseball uh, experience of your own, or did you kind of just do a lot of reading and figure out what the pros uh, were doing? Uh, very early on, um, I played baseball. Uh, I played baseball with Adam Wainwright, as it turns out. Uh, he was in the same little league as I was. Uh, he was much taller and much better than I was. Did you get a hit off of him? I did, and then he also drilled me in the hip, and I never played baseball again after that. Sounds like your OBP on him is pretty dang good, though. I mean, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good, but I also, you know, had laces on my hip where he hit me. So uh, <laughs> I, I, I kind of knew around then I didn't have the abilities anymore to to play and keep up with those guys. Um, it's just more of being a fan for a long period of time. Uh, over time, you just you start to see when a a guy is not going right. Um, you know, just you know, what's wrong with their swing. What's wrong with their mechanics and their, their wind up and you know their you know where on where they are on the mound you know what they do in the stretch versus you know situationally and things like that. It's yeah. not a it I, it's not something I like. I read a book and this is where I got a lot of that from. I I did read a lot of scouting reports in terms of what information they put out mm-hmm. and being able to answer the questions that they were answering. I had to you know that was just kind of over time watching a lot of games and just trying to be involved as much as I can. Um, but it wasn't a it wasn't a you know a particular training or anything like that. It was just over a long period of time. I slowly sort of figured it out, and I'm not going to pretend that I figured it all out. Yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have you know you guys and especially Garrett, uh, who you know works extraordinarily hard you know, for the same on the same stuff, and we don't always agree. But at the end of the day, we usually can come together and put out something that we are, ha- are pretty proud with. Yeah. Proud of. And I think you guys do excellent work as well. Um, but during the season, do you find yourself watching the minors at? at- like a lot more than you do the major league team. Like, how would you say you split your time between watching the farm system versus the big league guys? I, I we spend a lot of time watching the minor leagues. That being said, I, I don't want to abandon, you know, watching the major leagues team because ultimately, you know, we're wanting to we're we're putting out the content where you know we want to dream on these guys and these players, mm-hmm. but it's we want to dream on them being in at. At the major league level, and you know, I've been a Braves fan for a long time, uh, long before I moved to the South. And you, it's good to see kind of what holes could possibly be filled to at the major league level, and kind of what's going on. So you can kind of plan for you know how players are going to be moved up, whether it's going to be aggressive or not, uh, promote with promotions and things like that. It's not a, it's 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 honestly pretty close between watching the major uh, majors and minors. Uh, it's going to be a little, you know, depending on how you know minor league recaps are going to work this year, uh, as to how much I'm actually going to have to watch every game at the minor league level, which was what it was for stretches of last year. So it, it's going to be a little different this year, but at the same time, you know, I, I anticipate it actually being pretty close. Okay, interesting. All right, so two weeks ago we had two of the big prospect lists come out with uh, Keith Law and Baseball America both giving their organizational rankings as well as top 100 lists and various team lists. So what did you think about their two lists for the Braves as far as uh, Keith ranking the Braves number one, the number one farm system, and Baseball America putting them at number three? And then uh, what do you think about their specific top tens for the team as well? 
Uh, it's actually been a really busy just prospect list in general because Baseball Prospectus came out with theirs, mm-hmm. and MLB Pipeline came out with theirs. You know, not long before these two lists came out. So it's been kind of interesting to see kind of where all those guys value each guy. Uh, I don't. I'm kind of in between uh, Keith Law and uh, Baseball America in terms of organizational rankings. Yeah. Uh, I think the Dodgers have the number one, the number one farm system. I do think it's close. But it's a depth versus high end sort of question that you have to answer, and ultimately, I mean, they have Corey Seager and you know Urias, who are two guys who are, could possibly be all stars for a long time. So I, I would give the Dodgers a nod there. I do not understand Baseball America's fascination with AJ Reed. I think he's a, I think I think he's a very I think he will be a very good hitter, uh, but I just don't see why all of a sudden his star power is has increased so much to the point where a guy who can only defensively play first base. He's not even a, he can't even run fast enough to play an outfield position. Uh, can be so good as to bump the Braves to number three. I just I don't fundamentally understand that. But uh, I'm somewhere in between those two. Uh, in terms of their top tens, uh, Baseball America's top ten. I you know I've mentioned that I've thought it was pretty weird. I they have very Baseball America has very specific qualifications for their list yeah. in terms of rookie eligibility. So if Oliver is available and they think he's good enough to be, you know, number five, fifty-five on their list, then you know, by all means, that's I, that's that's up to them. We don't do that, but it's that's you know, their their standard is specific and has been the same for a long time. So yeah. I'm not, I don't I don't really take issue with that. Uh, the only thing about their list is having Oshanio as the uh, Ozzy Albies as the fifth overall prospect okay. behind Olivera and Aaron Blair. Uh, I have trouble understanding. Uh, Keith, you know, he has the roughly our order is a little different because you know we're been a little less bullish on Blair just because we don't have as much information and we're kind of bullish on guys like Austin Riley and things like that. Yeah. But those are just those are just kind of small issues in terms of the general order. I don't have any I don't have any really any issues with it. Yeah. Okay. So I'm curious as to how you think about um, high floors and high ceilings and how you rank those differently, like. Some some people might say that you knock up a prospect a few a, a few spots if you're confident that they're going to get to the big leagues at all if they've got that high floor and other guys uh, might value high risk high reward type players more. When you're looking at how to weight these players and in, in your list specifically, uh, do you look at the 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 potential ceiling as as being weighted more than a floor or how do you how do you evaluate that as far as well, ability to actually get to the major leagues? It's not just simply you know what their ceiling and what their floor is. It's kind of the probability of whether or not they'll be able to reach those on a consistent basis. And so, for example, you know Tuki Toussaint's ceiling is off the charts. You know he has a curveball that you know when it's on is unhittable. But he's also a guy who has a lot of control problems, and we actually bumped him down on our list this year. Uh, and it's just because we haven't seen the step forward that we'd like to see in terms of his control. Um, now, in terms of a guy's floor being major league ready. There's not a lot of those guys. If you really, if we just get down to it, so if the, if mm-hmm. if their floor, it, their floor has to be to a certain point where you can bump them up just based on what their floor would be. But if their floor is major league re- regular, that's a good place to be. Um, but a lot of those guys who have that sort of floor, and, but also don't have much of a ceiling, are usually pitchers because it's based on pitchability. Yep. Um, whereas hitters, hitting's a lot harder. And it's a lot harder to evaluate, and it's a lot harder to do uh, just in general. So if a major league hitter is 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 their floor, generally they will rank higher for us. Okay. 
whereas a major league pitcher, I mean, they could be relievers, they could, you know, be, you know, you know, a fifth starter on a bad team, you know, things like that. It's it's different for pitchers in terms of ranking them. Their ceiling does matter more, whereas a high floor for a hitter would probably get them ranked higher because it's just ultimately and then, you know, it comes down to whether or not they have power and things like that. But it's it, and it's not a perfect science. Mm-hmm. Uh, our our list is kind of an ongoing and constantly changing thing. Uh, we don't just sit down and say, "Okay, let's make the list." It's actually something that we constantly have and we're constantly updating. Yeah, it's like a uh, constant discussion. Yeah, and Garrett and I are constantly fighting about it. And it's a lot. <laughs> it's it's a lot of fun, but it's ultimately a constant process where we have to kind of figure out what these guys are going to be and what the odds are that that happens. Yeah, and you know, and it's not a perfect. You know, a lot of lists have. You know, a lot. They really, if if you have power and you have hit at all, then you will be a top twenty player. Or if you have a ninety-eight mile fastball, then you're going to be on the list somewhere. And that's just not how we do it. It's more of an organic process for us. Okay, gotcha. Now that actually leads pretty well into the next question I was going to ask, which is just how do you and uh, you and Garrett, uh, sit, when you sit down and you're about to do the uh, the top twenty-five list or any list, how do you actually start that? Like, do you start with the players you know are at the top, or what's your process on more of a nitpicky level, if, if you can speak speak to that? Um, well, it's kind of always an ongoing thing. What we did, the problem for us that this past year has been the sheer number of prospects that have been entering the system. We were, we were deathly afraid going into this offseason that we were going to trade prospects away and we are going to add more prospects, that we didn't, really didn't want to do a lot of work in terms of the write-ups and the lists. The, like a hard list mm-hmm. until after the winter meetings, and that turned out to be right because that was the Dansby Swanson, Aaron Blair trade, and half of your top five right there. Yeah, Sean and then and, and, well, and, yeah. yeah, not long before that was Nukem. So we kind of we waited, but we also created a pool of players that we thought could potentially be on some top twenty-five list, and that was a very long list of players. And we didn't we didn't rank those at all. Those were literally just guys that popped into our heads. And then once we did that, and then we, after the winter meetings, we added basically our top, you know, half of our top seven or whatever. Um, once we did that, we kind of went through and just kind of let the the top ten or so were at least in a general sense were pretty easy. Uh, Eleven through twenty five were uh, very difficult, and we a lot of that is just compromise. Uh, you know, if Garrett has one guy at a certain rank and I have him at another, uh, if we can't really kind of reconcile that, we generally just kind of compromise and kind of meet in the middle. Um, and that's a process that works for us. And for whatever reason, whenever we've done that, the list has turned out to be something that we're both happy with. Mm-hmm. Um, and we and there's never been any protracted arguments or fights over that. It's just kind <laughs> of you know, it's 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 never been like you know, we're we're just trying to figure out how to make a list that makes sense. Uh, as opposed to like you know you you put something down and you're like why do we I mean we only put three position players in here what happened yeah um, it's just kind of something we all have to you know and you know we each have our guys that we're you know we're high on and that we're not high on uh, our list is notable for having Lucas Lucas Sims as high as we do mm-hmm. um, and we're we are still believers in him um, I am probably a little higher on him than Garrett is and that just comes from just ultimately making a choice as to you know what we what we see. Um, but at the end of the day, we're probably going to be wrong about 80% of these guys. <laughs> uh, and that's just, you know, we accept the fact that we're probably going to fail. And we just ultimately want to have as, put as much information out there as possible for folks. And if they want to make their own choices and their own decisions, you know, we're more than happy to help. Yeah, gotcha. All right, Brad, I know we haven't heard from you in a little while. I don't want to leave you hanging there. Do you have any questions or any comments to, uh, that you want to pose? 
I'm still alive. Um, <laughs> uh, I do have one one thing for Eric. Uh, Eric, you mentioned Lucas Sims is a guy that you're higher on than Garrett is. Um, and I feel like m- most people that do what you do in the prospect game kind of have um, some of guys who are, who are quote-unquote their guys. Right. Uh, even if you don't think that they're the best prospects, like do you have one guy in the system that you just – like feel like it's kind of your guy, even if you are realistic in your mind, maybe, but more of a heart thing where you kind of fall in love with what a guy could be that you're higher on than anybody else ever. I know uh, that happens to me on occasion. I want to see what who your guy is right now in the Brave system. Right now, uh, well, there's two. One that could end up being realistically could end up being a very very good pitcher is Mike Soroka. Uh, I interviewed him. Last week? Was it last week or the week before? Yeah, you guys should all check out that interview on the site if you haven't. It's really good. Yeah, talking to this kid, you know, I, you, you, when you see, you know, see a guy's line and you see him pitch, you, you, that's one thing. But when you like talk to a guy and you sort of get a sense as to who he is and, you know, what, how, what his approach to playing and pitching is, I had to catch myself at multiple times in the interview wondering, how am I talking to an 18 year old? Like when I'm an 18, when I was an 18 year old, I had no inspired thoughts on really anything, and it would be embarrassing for me to even have an interview floating out there of me as an 18 year old. And he he you know he sounds so intelligent and really thinks about the game and is always constantly trying to improve. That I really think that honestly he could end up being the best pitcher in the Brave system. Um, now another guy that I'm well two guys that I'm really high on that. One of which we probably should have ranked a little higher in hindsight. One's Ronald Lacuna. I've heard multiple scouts uh, uh, comp him to a young Adam Jones, which is a very lofty uh, expectation of an 18-year-old. Uh, but at the same time, he really was good last year in rookie ball, and a lot of teams have been asking about him. Um, uh, another one that I have a weird fascination with is Matt Custard, who was the 31st-round pick for the Braves in last year's draft. <laughs> Uh, and he is a he's a reliever out of Texas Tech, and he was fantastic in rookie ball, as you'd expect someone that much older than the crop to be. Uh, but I honestly feel like he could he could make the make it to the show, and I'm rooting for him because any guy who gets drafted that low and still signs, uh, you I'm rooting for you. Yeah, Brent, that is the tidbit of the day right there. That's all we needed to hear was the 31st round draft breakdown. That was what Eric is here for. <laughs> I'm on it. Beautiful. Brad, do you have any guys like that that maybe you're higher on emotionally or otherwise that, that you like more than the consensus out there? I think Tukey's my guy. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a guy that people know, but I am super high on him long term. And just, I think part of it probably comes from the fact that the Braves basically stole him from Arizona for nothing. That was so good. That was uh, so good. I feel like the guys are the, where the Braves do the right thing and like kind of steal guys away at cheap prices to become my favorite players. I don't know if that's despite Dave Stewart or what. But, uh, Tukey's, I'm, I'm in love with Tukey's skill set, and he's still so young and the upside's so high that he's a guy that I'm sort of just all in on. But yeah. I know it's early. I'm realistic. I'm realistic in my mind, but I'm all in with my heart on Tukey. Yeah, Tukey is also my guy, so it's funny that you picked him because uh, actually two summers ago, when Tukey was drafted, I was interning with Baseball America and those guys, and to just hear about what they were saying about Tukey and the, the the just raw stuff that he brought to the table, I liked him even then. And I obviously didn't he didn't get drafted by the Braves, so when I heard uh, last summer that the Braves had got him for basically nothing, I was freaking out and trying to remain professional at the same time. And 
when I when I had the chance to ask John Coppolella just about the trade, I was just like, dude, how did you do this? This is amazing. So so he's my guy. I I wouldn't be surprised if he never made it to the major leagues, but at the same time, like you said, he's got the stuff to be he does have the stuff to be the best pitcher of all these guys in the in the system, I think. For sure. He's still nineteen too, which is crazy. Yeah. And he, he has an awesome name. Like team. you gotta pull for a guy named Tuki Toussaint. I, I would like to just call his curveball the Tukey because I mean that it's a crazy pitch. <laughs> I mean, you know, Allard has a really good curveball too, but it, it's nothing like. I mean, you just watch this thing and it's just like, how is anyone going to catch that? Let yeah. alone hit it. I think there was a day on Twitter where it was basically just gifs of Tukey's curveball, and that was I, awesome. I may or may not have retweeted several of those. Yes. Yeah, I did as well. All right, well, uh, I think that's all we have for you right now, Eric. Uh, thanks for your. For your insight into the farm system, very very thorough as as with your writing as well. So uh, we're really excited to have you on the podcast tonight, and uh, hopefully we can have you on in the future as well. Oh, absolutely, anytime. Just give me a call. Yep, for for sure. And um, uh, moving forward, if you guys uh, want to, just feel free to participate in our mailbags for when, whenever we have those to to get your questions in here. We'll try to answer as many as we can on the podcast. Obviously, we don't have time to do them all, but we definitely appreciate the feedback and the comments and questions that you guys have been posing. Um, if you want to follow Eric on Twitter, Eric, you can pimp out your Twitter account if you want to do that. Uh, it's uh, at Leprechaun with a K uh, and no U. Uh, and uh, yeah, I sometimes post stuff on there. I'm trying to do better about it. I'm not particularly active, as active on Twitter as I need to be. Um, so yeah. That's yep. pretty much what I do. You can follow Brad at BT Roland as well. I know he and myself are both extremely active Twitter, probably probably too much. Uh, I'm at Carlos A. Colazzo, and be sure to follow the website at Talking Chop as well. Uh, keep s- and and I, highly, I highly endorse that if you tweet at Brad, make sure you mention the Tim Hardaway Jr. trade as much as humanly possible. <laughs> <laughs> little, little Hulk's inside baseball reference there. I like that. It's good. <laughs> Alright guys, thanks for listening again. It's been fun. We'll be back next week at the same time. So until then, take care.